Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are going to talk about Parshat Lech Lecha this week, um, and I'm going to have Rabbi Shapiro kind of give us the general context for our verses, and then we'll jump right in. Sort of continuing um, the the trend of picking verses that you might very well know, but are not necessarily kind of the greatest hits of the Parsha. Um, we're going to be looking at um, the verses that that you see in front of you. Um, part of Avram's journey that isn't necessarily like the Lech Lecha bit, right? Lech Lecha is obviously the headline of this Parsha, both in terms of the events themselves in addition to the name of the Parsha. Um, but as Avram goes on his journey, there's a moment of... Um, where he's in a relationship at the uh, over the course of the first part of this parasha, and that relationship doesn't necessarily come to an end, um, but there's definitely a moment of separation, and Rabbi Schatz and I and all y'all are going to be exploring that a bit today. So what has happened is after Avram has left um, the land, the land where he lives, the land of his fathers, to the land that will be shown to him, um, a little bit later on, as you can see, right, Avram doing pretty well for himself. This is after uh, they've been down in Egypt and the whole who's he was it with Sarai and Pharaoh. But so they leave Egypt. They're going up back into the land. And you can see there it's emphasized that that Lot is along with them. And this is going to be sort of the, the relationship between Avram and Lot that they're exploring. Uh, Avram doing well for himself, and they're walking along. Lot, it's sort of emphasizing again that Lot is with him. But it becomes clear that because both uh, Avram and Lot are doing pretty pretty well uh, financially at this point, it seems like um, they can't stay together anymore, right? That, that the land doesn't support them staying together. And this is going to be kind of the pivot point into the verses that we're going to be discussing. Then in verse seven, it mentions that there's, that there's this reeve, there's this quarrel, there's this argument between um, Avram's shepherds, Avram's herdsmen, and those of Lot. Um, and so then what happens here is that Avram says to Lot, Vayomer Avram el Lot, al natihi meriva beni uvenecha. Right. Let, let's make sure that there isn't strife, that there isn't an argument between me and you, uvein roi uvein roecha, between your, uh, your shepherds and mine, between your herdsmen and mine, ki anashim achim anachnu. Right. So, so it's translated there as we are kinsmen, right? In, in the Hebrew, I think it puts a finer point on it than that, that we are <laughs> Anashim people, Achim brothers, because we are we are brother people, uh, you and I, which is which is not how JPS translated, but but I'll, I'll say say brother people. Rabbi Shat seems to like that translation. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do a two for two for as last week uh, as well. So we're gonna be doing verses eight and nine. Hello, Like the the whole land is in front of you. He pared na me'alai separate from me. 
right? Get, like, get, you're going to go one way and I'm going to go another. Im hasmal ve'emina ve'im hayamin ve'asma'ila, right? If you, if you go left, I will go right. You go right, I'll go left. That this is going to be a moment in which the two of us separate. So these two verses are the verses that we're going to be exploring this morning uh, for a little while. I'll say uh, similar to what we've done these past couple of weeks. Let's take a moment to sort of collect kushio, to collect questions um, on these verses. When you see these two verses, um, what what are the questions you have? And let's, as we've been saying, let's let's try. It's not always easy, but let's try to stay focused in on the specific verses that that we're talking about. Um, what questions come to mind in terms of the relationship between the two of them, the language, right? What what comes to mind for you um, as as noteworthy questions on these verses? I'll I'll le- oh yeah. Will you just zoom in on those verses just so they're a little bit easier to see? And for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, we're chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. It looks like yes. Denise has a question. Denise. Hi. Hi, Denise. So, hi. Okay, so where it says um, that Avram says to let, let there be no strife between us, yeah. um, between you and me. So it just it made me wonder was there strife going on that he was like, okay, let's not argue anymore. <clears throat> or did he just think for some reason that maybe strife would come up? And if he thought that, then where did he get that idea from? Right. So we, we see the sense that he's worried that there will be strife. Is that what, what's the context for, for his thinking that? Great. Great. It seems to be just to give a little bit of, not an answer, but a little bit of, a, of context um, to answer the question. Before this, we see that the two of them have very different things, right, as, as shepherds that they are bringing to the party, so to speak, different items. And so what some of the commentators mention is that the strife might be that one has more than the other or one's goods are better than the others. So it's possible that, that as Rabbi Shapiro just said, that we're trying to, um, to put out that fire before it's ignited. Because if, if you are, if you are coming to the same place with, with, uh, the same purpose, but with different things, it might turn out that one is better than the other and then strife could ensue. So I just wanted to give a little bit of that context. It comes a few verses before um, in saying that. Elon. Yeah, um, the question that comes up to me is, uh, given that there was strife, why didn't they try to cohabit? Why Why was it necessary for them to separate as opposed to try to work it out within the same uh, land? Great. If every week Elon Spar it, um, knows what we're going to be talking about, we're going to start paying him because this is really <laughs> that question is going to lead us right into right into the question that we are going to discuss. So thank you, Elon. Yeah, or at least that we think we're going to discuss. You never quite know where we're going to wind up, but that's that's part of what Rabbi Schaff and I were exploring. Yeah, Rebecca. Um, what I was wondering, and I kind of saw it as you were reading through the, the build up to these lines. Um, if the country, if, if the land isn't empty, um, he, he says there, the whole land is before you. What's, 
what does that mean in terms of is there really space for them to go wherever they want or is that because they're nomads you know what that is and it did say further up that there was someone else in the country I think right yeah there are definitely other right. peoples in the country so what does it mean that the whole land is before you great question Rabbi Schatz is going to be taking that one uh, no, he's not actually. <laughs> um, any other, any other questions? Yeah, Neora. I noticed um because I'm looking at the Chabad translation, so I see this one has "Let there be no strife." Yeah, and there's another translation, "Let there be no quarrel." And yeah. it's funny because it's when I looked up like the definition of strife and quarrel, um, strife says. Uh, like a bitter disagreement over fundamental issues, whereas quarrel is like typically over trivial issues. So I just found that difference interesting. And I didn't know um, Hebrew wise, which one was more, if one gave more, if the Hebrew gave more direction in either way. Yeah, it's a great question. Reeve definitely means to fight, like to quarrel. Um, but, but there are ways in which you can use this word meriva to mean more so strife than just like a, a family dispute or something that might be seen more as quarreling. Uh, um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that. It's a, it is an interesting distinction and one that the rabbis will, will pick up on a little bit. And I think also dovetails nicely with Elon's question about yeah. it, it, is this, is this something that hypothetically could be resolved or is it really a deep seated conflict that, is pretty much irreconcilable. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes, Renee. Um, it says that they shouldn't have any quarrels with your kinsmen, not between us and not between the herdsmen, but what about other family members? Uh-huh. Right. Why is he focusing on herdsmen and just the two of them and herdsmen and not any other members of their own families, that there shouldn't be quarrels between any other members of their families? Great. That's a beautiful question and one that I had not thought of, but it's very specific to just the two of them. Why not be worried that, you know, their children might fight with one another or whatever? Why, why is it just about their relationship? Jay and then Rachel. I was going to ask, what happens to them against the Canaanites and the Perizzites? Because they've got to live in conjunction with the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And all it talks about is, okay, let's separate and you go north, I'll go south. You know, it's okay, the Lot's men and Abram's men will be there. But it doesn't talk about what's going to happen to the Canaanites and Perizzites in that Right. So that's kind of, that's kind of a good, it's like a part B to Rebecca's question, right? If the land actually isn't desolate, then what happens to the fact that you are going to be living there with other peoples? Are, is there going to be any, any issue or any um, adaption to being in a same, in a place with other, with other nations now that you're going to separate from the nation that you come from? Rachel Rubin Green. Yes. Thank you. Um, I'm thinking because of of the issues. I I was on Wilshire Boulevard this morning, and all the banks are boarding up. And you'd mentioned yesterday, Rebecca, that uh, that even Temple Betham is doing some to protect 
in the possible event that somebody would be motivated um, by the election results to do damage to the building. And then today I saw that, you know, 10 times over block after block after block. And I'm thinking just about the notion of prevention. Yeah. That this is an example. We don't want there to be any problems. So here's a possible way of prevention of, of difficulties. Great, great. Um, yeah, for those... For those of you who, who didn't hear me say that, and Rajshree, we can stop sharing, I think, for now. Okay. Um, for those of you who didn't hear me say that, just so that it doesn't sound alarming, I'll just share, even though this isn't part of the topic. Um, because there's glass on La Cienega, based on the riots that happened earlier on in the summer, we're boarding up now as opposed to boarding up later. Um, we hope that nothing happens, obviously, um, and we don't know what it would be if anything were to happen. We're just taking those precautionary measures ahead of time as opposed to reacting um, if anything were to happen. So if you do see that there are boards up at Betham, um, we are, we're not sending out some big email, at least that I know of, um, some big email you know, saying that we're scared or anything like that. We're just doing it because the other places around us are. Um, and as Rachel said, it's, it's a precautionary measure because we all we all see that other people are doing it and we also know that earlier on in the summer there were there was reason to believe that it didn't matter what location people just wanted to to choose destruction as a as a form of of expression um so we are going to talk a little bit about what that what this is doing that is preventative for their relationship but also for their people and to figure out if it was necessary or if it was something that maybe was was done a little bit too soon. Um, Neora, you had your hand up and then we'll jump in. Super quick. It's not even a question, just a quick comment to keep in mind. When I read that passage, it was very heartwarming because to me, um, that's Abraham thinking about the relationship first. Right. Number one, this can't be um, this can't be destroyed. We must protect this. So for me, it was just a heartwarming uh, reaction. Wonderful. And that, I'm so glad that I called on you because it's a great way to kick off into what um, we're going to talk about. That was also very heartwarming to me, um, which is which is why I suggested these as verses. I think that often when we think of separation, whether it's taking time away from a loved one um, or actual separation, meaning like divorce or breaking up or, or removal from a community or whatever the separation is, the separation we often think of is something that is not positive, right? That, that maybe has positive outcome, but the act of separation is not one that you celebrate. It's often one that is difficult and one that takes... Um, takes reason and takes a lot of a lot of thinking and working through um and so i want to for one second just talk about this people brothers piece that rabbi shapiro brought up um and rashi says that the reason that it says anashim achim is because they were not brothers but they were as if they were brothers so they were people but they acted as if they were brothers right so we all know people in our lives whether they're actually to us this way or to others this way where you say oh that's my family and really they're not related to you whatsoever but they feel like family and so you regard them as such so 
there's a midrash that talks about that they resembled each other, and so that that's why they were called brothers. Lot was the nephew of Avram, so it's not like they weren't related at all, but they weren't brothers. Um, it's it's possible we don't understand ages uh, in the way that they were written in the Torah, but it's possible that they were similar in age. The midrash thinks, um, and potentially that put them at more of like a brotherly level and relationship than than uncle to to uh, to nephew. So I just want to mention that very quickly. So I want us to talk a little bit about this separation and what does separation do in a relationship. Um, I, I, there have been many times in my life where I've taken a break from a person, from a concept, from a community, because I knew that for me that was going to allow myself to think more deeply and to think more clearly and to heal in whatever way I needed to based on the circumstance. So when I read this about Avram and Lot, I was very surprised that in a society where staying with your tribe was so important that that kind of um, of, of protection, of self-protection was already being done back in those days. So. I want to bring one source, and then um, and then I'll let Rabbi Shapiro comment on it. Um, so, sorry, let me just find it here. Okay. Um, so the Orachaim says, would it be, just nod, would it be better for you if you could see the source that I'm reading, or do you want to just, yes, okay, all right. Love having some visual learners. Great. Okay, so this is the source that I'm going to share. So the Orachayim says, let no quarrel develop between me and you. Right? So this is that preventative measure that we were talking about. Abraham told Lot that, when, that what had started as an argument between their respective shepherds was bound to lead to a quarrel between the two of them, even though Lot claimed that he would never allow this to happen. After all, he respected his uncle too highly as a senior member of the family. The substance of the shepherds' arguments concerned the fact that Lot allowed his shepherds to graze on privately, privately owned land, excuse me, counting on God's promise that the land would belong to Abraham's family in the future. Seeing that Abraham had no children and was genetically unable to father children, Lot viewed himself as Abraham's heir. Abraham alluded to this by the superfluous comment that they were brothers. Okay, so what we see here is that the there was already tension, right? The fact that they use um, that they use the word argument early on in this in this commentary is a little bit um, is a little bit confusing because what they're basically saying is there's tension between us. We don't want it to lead to something bigger, so we are going to take a break now. Um, there are other sources on this, but I know that Rabbi Shapiro specifically has something to say on this moment of separation at this point. So I'm going to let him chime in, and then um, and then I'll share another one. Okay. So one thing to sort of augment that comment, and then to to undercut it completely. Um, <laughs> I I found a really nice piece that was talking about. Um, it, as as commentaries will sometimes do, it started in a different place and kind of landed in this moment, which was the the 
the rabbi wrote a work called Pardes Yosef, which I've, I've never seen before, but thank you, Pardes Yosef, for this comment. He started out by saying, by riffing on the idea of Oseh Shalom Bim Ramav, right? That God creates peace and wholeness in the, amongst the heavenly host. And he sort of asked the question, why, why is it necessary for God to make peace between angels, right? Aren't, aren't the angels all kind of cool with each other and, and hanging out up there? And he said that it's actually not referring to the angel, it's referring to, to stars. So he goes with sort of an astronomical um, model to respond to this, that if stars get too close to each other, they'll implode, right? The gravitational pull of the star, one to the other, will lead to the destruction of both. And so he applies that construct here as well, that Avram and Lot are at a point where where they can't be too close to each other, otherwise there will be destruction, um, which is which is for me just an interesting metaphor and image to be to be holding on to through that lens. I've also been wondering in looking at the psukim if if they ended the relationship too early. Um, if this was real, and and this goes into um, what what was being said. Sort of, Ilan asked the question, um, and Nora was was picking on that like quarrel versus strike. Uh, the comment he's called the Pardes Yosef. Um, um, uh, Ilan and then Aura were sort of both picking up on this idea. What, what's, what's quarrel and what's strife? And at what point in a relationship do you say, this is really a fundamental disagreement between us and Ad Khan, like we, we've gone to a point and we can't go any further and that's it. And at what point do you say, okay, we've got, we've got some conflict here. Um, how do we work through it? And might we work through it? And it's particularly interesting to me because it, the quarrel is between each of their shepherds, right? It's not between them. It is a preventative measure, right? The shepherds are arguing, we might end up arguing too, but they're not arguing yet. Um, so I think, th- I think that piece is interesting. I also think it's interesting and it, it hadn't occurred to me until Rabbi Schatz was talking about the difference between what each of them had. Um, I still, two weeks later, I still have Cain and Abel echoing in my head, right? When you think about two, two people who are sort of offering different stuff, right? So is, is there sort of like an echo of how destructive that conflict wound up being? So now Avram and Lot are, are sort of going in the opposite direction, literally, Right, that that they're separating because they don't want to come to blows when there's um, that difference in material possessions between them, and and you know, sort of the the last thing I'll say that that came to mind for me is that um, each of like the each of the avot, each of the patriarchs, sort of get assigned a sphira and like the kabbalistic way of thinking about things. And Avram's is chesed, right? Avraham's is chesed, um, loving kindness, right? Like embracing, right? That, that sort of thing. And all things in proper measure, right? So out of an abundance of chesed that Avram is so loving, that he's, he's so concerned that he doesn't want there to be any conflict at all, right? I think we can all think of people in our lives who will go out of their way to make sure nobody is fighting, right? And that, that can be healthy, but not necessarily, right? And what's what's the proper measure between um, avoiding conflict as opposed to really engaging in um, 
resolving a relationship that might have have hit a bit of a flashpoint, but you can still work through it. Um, so I, I, I've I've been dancing between those two understandings, and and I'm curious to hear what other I, Rachel. I think I've seen you kind of select. No, you're just stretching. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll pause here to see if folks, whether Rabbi Schatz or others, have have reflections on that. Well. I'll just mention that in the Zohar, I know I'm doing I'm I'm doing Rabbi Shapiro's role of bringing the Zohar most weeks, but you're so mystical, Rabbi Shatz. Yeah, that's what they say. Um, so the Zohar actually says that all of this. Here, I'll show it again since you guys liked seeing the source. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just the the part that's bolded here. Um, all of this happens if the soul, which is which is attributed to Abraham, merited to amend the body in this world and overcame the power of that cursed being, which we are assuming is Lot, until it is separated from it. Right, and when we think about this separation, whether or not it was the right time, when we think about separation, we often think about what what we are separating ourselves from. Is it that something isn't making us whole or is it something that is that is actually influencing us too much that we can't remember who we are, right? If you are part of a cult, for example, and you leave that cult, you don't necessarily remember who you are without the influence of the people and the messaging that was coming at you while you were part of that cult. Now, that's obviously an extreme example but the same could be said for a toxic relationship. If you're in a relationship with a family member or a partner or a friend who is not allowing you to be the person that you should be, you end up trying to become the person that they see you as and you forget who you are. So what I believe the Zohar is saying, though Rabbi Shapiro might have a, a better understanding of this Kabbalistic text than I do, is that, well, you're just better at this Kabbalistic stuff than I, um, that... If you think I can read Zohar without, like, an immense amount of help, then I think you're, <laughs> you're drastically misunderstanding my capabilities. Um, I, I believe you. Um, I think that what this is saying is that Abraham somehow understood that even though he loved him so much and knew that he was a good partner in certain ways that there were things that were going to make Abraham turn towards his evil inclination as opposed to allow himself to just focus on his own soul. So I don't know if it was the right time, right? I, I wasn't there. I couldn't interview them. I don't know if it was the right time. But I do believe that Abraham felt as though this was the moment that he needs to be by himself, even if that was painful, that he needed to somehow take a break, take a separation, and no longer be with his nephew, who he cares a lot about. Um, so I have, a, I have a lot to say about that. Uh, <laughs> what other people wrote first, and then you can speak. Well, I saw what Rebecca wrote, and it's actually going to dovetail in with, with something that I was going to say, too. I don't know if I saw... So Jay wrote, I'm thinking of an example of a person who needs to change jobs as they feel they aren't being used to their skills and having to remember what life was like before they started working there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, you can go. So, so Rebecca, to sort of like hit like brief delay on what you wrote, but then to, to respond to that, at least what I think is my understanding of that Zohar piece. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's so interesting to me that they like metaphorize Avram as soul and Lot as Yitzhahara. Yeah. Right? That's just a, that's just a really interesting assigning um, of of those roles into like you know uh, psycho spiritual metaphorical constructs. Right. That's that's just very interesting. Um, and yeah, right. At, at least from my understanding, ideally, ideally, you're you're integrating your Yetzirahara right. into how you live, right? That that there is a pretty well known midrash that if you look at the first um, verse of the Yehafta, right? Yehafta, it could just say bechol levcha. Right, it could just say with all your heart, but it says levavcha, and the midrash on it is that the reason that there are two bets is because you're supposed to serve with your yetzerhatov and your yetzerhara, right? The good inclination and the inclination towards evil, and so ideally, then you're talking about integrating those two components, right? You're talking about bringing Avram and Lot together. Um, now the question is timing, right? I mean, uh, to like sort of spoil the punchline from from my end, I think this is ultimately about discernment, right? Discerning when in a relationship, it's time to work through it. And when it's in a relationship, it's time to say, this is it, right? We can't do any more. I mean, for me, that's, that's how I'm sort of on, on the meta level thinking about these verses. Rebecca, in response to your question, for, for me, like what, what transpires next is sort of like fodder for the argument that they, that they part too soon, Right. Like, you know, spoiler alert, things don't go too well for Lot this week or next. Right. Literally, the only two other stories and really pretty much all we hear about Lot for the whole of for the whole rest of the Torah, with the exception of a couple of Sukim in Dvarim, um, where we hear about like land that's assigned to his descendants um, in the next uh, parak, in the next chapter, he's kidnapped and Avram comes to save him. And he does successfully. Hooray. Good job. Battle. General Avram, right? He saves Lot from being kidnapped. And then, you know, if you thought the the bit about Noah we were learning last week was a little gnarly, uh, refer to next week in the story of Stom and Amara, right? That that's the only other story we have about Lot, that that he winds up in a in a pretty bad neighborhood and things go south from there, to say the least, right? So that those are the only other two narratives that we have about Lot for the whole rest of the Torah. And so I think for me, that indicates maybe that parting came too soon, right? Maybe Lot needed more help. Maybe he needed more support in that relationship with someone that was so close to him. Um, and so maybe they overestimated that argument and parted too soon. Yeah, I there's, there's this um, commentary that I'm not going to read all of, um, but but they, in the commentary, they quote a line from Proverbs, and they and it's "poter miyam reshit midun," which is starting a quarrel is like opening some kind of wound, right? And the commentary basically is saying that if the, if you think that a quarrel is about to happen, you should you should want to remove the cause of what that quarrel would be. So in order to get to what Rabbi Shapiro is saying, it's possible that the cause of the quarrel would not have been that they should have stayed together. Maybe they actually should have figured out how to communicate better with one another to understand what was that quarrel going to be and then come up with a different, a different scenario so they could still stay together, which 
might have allowed for everything that came after to be better for Lot. Who knows? We'll never know. But that that piece was so interesting to me because I, I think that I think that when we decide to take breaks from things that we feel are somehow um, affecting us in a negative way, we don't often think about how we could make that negativity go away by still having that thing, that person, that experience in our lives. And then after communicating about it, potentially the answer is still to no longer be in that scenario. But it could be that you just have to change the way that you are looking onto the relationship or participating in the community or whatever it is so that you can figure out for yourself if the real answer is to just divorce yourself, though you know what I mean by that word, I don't just mean divorce, but divorce yourself from the the experience that you're having, the feelings that you are having. Um, Rachel so, wrote, uh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, no, I see, I see Rachel's comment. I mean, that you, you, you use the verb divorce in an interesting construct that, right. It is interesting. Like the divorce rate in America is so high. Right. And, and I think there's, we, we can get into a whole sociological exploration of what that is. I think, you know, one of the many, many factors I think is the question of what are your expectations going into a relationship Right. Do you expect when you get married that like you'll never fight, that you'll agree about everything? Um, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, God bless. God bless Rabbi Elliot Dorf. Right. I remember very clearly. Oh, I'm holding the microphone. Why? Why is it only here that my microphone is problematic? There's some I blame Rabbi Schatz. Um, uh, Rabbi Dorf talks about marriages doing the business of life together right? That, that you make a commitment to somebody and you live your lives together. It doesn't mean you'll never fight. It doesn't mean you'll never get in quarrels or arguments or, or, or have strife necessarily, but that, that you're making a commitment to that person. And some marriages are unhealthy and need to come to an end, right? Like b- both, both are true. Um, so, so it's interesting, Rabbi Schatz, when you, when you, when you name that, that, that as a verb, it's interesting to think about. Rachel, I saw your comment as well. Right, that Lot saw himself as the heir uh, for Avram, and it's interesting that you're commenting. Right, maybe Avram had a premonition that if he separated from Lot, he would not remain childless. That's a that's a really interesting thought. Right, that that by making that move, um, the he, text he, that Rabbi Schatz showed us, the first text had this thing about had that statement. And I just thought that, for me, I'd never thought of that before and thought about how that would impact their relationship. Yeah. And while you were talking, I was thinking about Uncle Lot and how Isaac or Ishmael would have related to Uncle Lot, who Mm -hmm. felt like he'd been displaced from Avraham's affections. Yeah by yeah, that, their appearance. Right. That 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 was something that came to mind for me when you typed that as well that that maybe Avram is also sort of sensing that even if he does stick around that it's it's creating future conflict in terms of of just those family dynamics as well, which which is an interesting piece to consider. Neora wrote a really beautiful um idea that I that I'm thinking a lot about right now. She wrote, there's an artistic aspect, creation versus reflection, 
Being in the relationship is sort of the creation mode, while taking a break gives us time to reflect on the relationship and how to better approach it when we return similar to how artists work, right? That, that you might need to take a break from a painting to be able to look at it a different way to then resume that painting, whether it turns out to be the same painting or not, you'll never know, but you resume painting onto it um, in a different way because you've had time to reflect on it. I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about art, but also a beautiful way of thinking about relationships, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you are giving up on someone by saying, I just need a little bit of time to focus on me right now. Um, and, and sometimes that's not a, it's not a mean thing or a bad thing, right? I, I know speaking as one of, of four, um, I have three siblings. Sometimes there are brothers that I'm speaking to more than others based on what I need and based on the, the communication that I need, not because I'm mad or never going to speak to or want to take myself away from, but there are certain relationships that you have with certain people and the way that you need to be nourished sometimes means that other things get put aside because you need to be nourished in a certain way. I'm going to read one last commentary um, uh, here. Okay, so this is, this is the Rashi on, oh, let me share it again. <clears throat> this is the Rashi on the going left, going right piece. Um, so we can see that his kushi eyes, what is it, you know, obviously, if you're telling me to go away, like I'm going to go this way and you're going to go that way, we're not going to go to the same place. Like that's a pretty obvious thing. So Rashi wants to know, what, you know, what, it, what is that? Why is that important to stay? Wherever you settle down, I will not go far from you. And I will stand by you as a shield and as a helper. Ultimately, indeed, Lot was really in need of Avraham, as, as Rabbi Shapiro mentioned to us before, as it is said later on, and Avraham heard that his brother was taken captive. So there's something very beautiful about the way that Rashi explains this in knowing that there might be distance, but it's not that far. Right? I'm not asking you to go to Washington, D.C. and I'll stay in Los Angeles. I'm just asking you to go to San Diego. Right? I'm just asking for a little bit of distance. And, and we don't even have to use uh, locations. We can say, we were speaking every day on the phone. Now I need to speak only once a week. Right? I just need that little bit of distance. I'm still here. I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to be able to be an ear if you need me, but I can't be the person every moment any longer, which is how I was before. And the reason that I love what Neora wrote is because I, I also think that this is the way that, that those of us who are creating things create best. If you just jump into a project and you create, the project that comes out has probably things that you now are thinking about that could have been done. Oh, I could have done this. You know, no, no excuses. Um, but you know, the way that every single organization planned high holidays this year, right? We all just jumped into how they were going to be planned. We didn't have a whole year to discuss what they were going to look like. So 
the way that you create in such a way of being able to stand back and look at something and stand back and look at something, you don't have to be that far away, but that distance is helpful and that distance of perspective is helpful. And if we bring the Zohar back into this, it also allows us to figure out, to almost cleanse like our soul to then be able to bring both pieces back together, which I also really enjoy about this idea of not dismissing Lot, but being able to create your own lives um, while still in connection, but not making one life be exactly the same as the other. I, d- I definitely also resonate with that idea of creation. I know, you know, it, it's not like a painting necessarily, but if I start working on a drosh or whatever it might be, I'll start it. I'll like throw some sources on a page. I'll put like a thought at the top, a thought at the bottom, and then I'll work on something else or I'll leave it for a day and then come back to it. Right. Like that, that's also, um, I resonate very strongly with that and, and, you know, yeah, agreed and agreed. So too with relationships as well. Um, Karen, Karen has been putting some really lovely stuff in the chat. Um, you know, talking about, staying in relationship and needing to alter expectations that working it out, it takes two to tango, right? It can't just be one person uh, agreed and agreed. Like, like what, what did the group therapy session, right? What did the couples therapy sessions between Avram and Lot look like, right? Was, was somebody just not quite willing to say, you know, yeah, I'm going to tell my shepherds to back off, right? Like what, what was the, what was the content there? Um, and then also, you know, Karen, you wrote, you wrote beautifully, you know, about a friend that, that you can't necessarily bring everything to. I think that also goes to the sense of, of expectations in relationships, right? That, that not everyone who we have relationships with is going to be someone with whom we can be completely emotionally vulnerable or talk about this or talk about that. And that's okay. You know, and, and family members as well, right? I, I think I'll speak for myself and I'd imagine for other folks as well. There are certain family members who I can just have different kinds of conversations with. That's okay. That's totally fine. But but it it requires some awareness around um, what what the relationship is. Um, I'll 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 throw in one more one more. I'll, I'll, it's a sixty percent thought. I love I love throwing out sixty percent thoughts with with you know five minutes left. Um, possibly the only thing I like more than finding Hasidic text for Rabbi Schatz to roll her eyes at. Um, is finding like sort of funky linguistic connections to things and trying to figure out how they might or might not connect. Um, that word Meriva is interesting. Um, for, for 500 Torah bonus points, uh, where, where else do we see Meriva when it comes to geography? Anybody? 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 Yeah. Rachel? I'm afraid I don't remember the context, but it's a body of water. The Correct. Waters of Meriva. Correct. Right. So that. So we'll call that 150. We'll call that for for 150. Right. 150 partial credit. Denise. Yeah, yeah I was going to say the same thing. It's been bugging me the whole class. I'm thinking like Meriva. That rings a bell, but I have no idea from what. Like. Right. Right. Oh, Jay. Jay's gonna have isn't that where isn't that where Miriam drew out the water? No, not not exactly right. So so it's where there was the people were complaining yeah. about right how there wasn't enough water, and Moshe went to God, and God said, "Right, okay, we're gonna figure this out." 
But but there was Davka. Yes, exactly, Renee. Right, right. As they were leaving Egypt, that there was this point where they started complaining about how there wasn't how there wasn't water, and and Moshe brought it to God, and God told Moshe what to. But it's inter- So it, it's interesting to think about this sense of quarreling, argument, relationship, right? And that there was this quarrel brought to Moshe, and Moshe like couldn't respond directly to the people. He had to go somewhere else to sort of figure out what to do. And this this dovetails nicely, you know, with with Naora, what you wrote about like artistic process and how Rabbi Schatz was bringing that to thinking about relationship, you know, the sense of maybe when there's an argument, there does need to be sort of you go to a third party or you take that break and that's what's then necessary in order to literally give people what they need to live, to give people water, however you want to understand that. Um, you know, when we think about the Torah and we think about how words kind of hyperlink to each other, um, given what an unusual and uncommon word it is, um, I don't think it's an accident um, when when we see that word and and then the the place itself, um, I don't know if that's what it might be, but I at least wanted to like name out that that specific linguistic kind of. Quote. I just I just sent you just privately um, a uh, um, a commentary from the Shnei Luchot Tabrit, which is a book, not not the actual Ten Commandments. Um, but it talks. Hello. hello. <laughs> um, people on the podcast are not going to know what you just did. Um, Mystery. That uh, that it talks about using the word meriva as opposed to reeve. Reeve is the masculine version, and meriva is the feminine version. And why use the feminine version as opposed to the masculine version, especially if we are talking about two men? And in this commentary, which I wish you're welcome to to read through. It talks about how Reeve assumes that because it is masculine, it does not produce, right? Women are the ones who bear children. So Reeve would not would not have that creativity, would not have that production based on that kind of fighting. Whereas Mary Va, and I love the connection to the water based on this um, commentary, which doesn't bring that up at all, but it seems to be very closely connected, that there is something fruitful. There is something to be born from, something to be created from this separation, this quarreling, this tension that could not have been there if it had just been a typical type of fight. If it was just a fight, they would have moved on and Abraham wouldn't have saved Lot and Lot wouldn't have even been part of our story any longer probably. But because they separated to have continued um, futures to be able to be fruitful in their own ways. There seems to be something very powerful about this separation that allows for that. Whereas if they were to stay together, it seems as though from um, Rabbi Shapiro's star example earlier, that that would not have been able to, to happen. So, so I, I saw that comment. I, I, Terry Safaria, I saw that count. I saw that as well, but yeah. I saw it as going in the other direction, right? That it's in the feminine because it's an argument that would have led to more arguments, right? Oh. Not that it's not that it's a fruitful. Uh, oh, it's Meriva because that means they'll have it, and then then good will be born from it. It's that it's a Meriva, and it's Davka in the feminine because it means that sort of going back to like the quarrel 
strife conundrum, yeah. right? That that it is the type of conflict that will only um, lead to escalating conflict, and that's Dafka why um, the separation is necessary, which is an interesting linguistic point, even though it's not necessarily what I think. But I think that's probably what. Oh, interesting. He is saying so. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. I did not. I didn't read it that way, but it's a. But it's a. It's a, it goes back also to what you were saying about, was this the time to separate, right? Had they stayed longer, had they communicated more, maybe it would have been more fruitful than had they just used that as a moment to separate. Are you laughing at me? No, I'm laughing at Renee's comment because I want to argue with her, but I think that would prove her point. So <laughs> Renee just put in the chat, women are better at making peace in arguments, which is a very um, laden comment to put in the chat with five minutes to go in the class um, and opens up a whole minefield of things that would probably bad to have documented on a podcast from me for, for the rest of eternity. Um, it, it is interesting, right? I, I think there are different types. I'll, I'll get out of the gendered component. I'll sort of like, um, I'll sort of get out of the gendered piece and I won't, I won't take that bait, but I will say, right. I think it's possible to, have an argument to have a conversation where the conflict lingers and it's possible to have an argument, have it out, bing, bang, boom. It might be really intense, but then it can kind of fizzle from there. I won't get into the gendered pieces of that, right? But I I think there is the question around what's necessary for a conflict to be maybe even more heated in the short term and to really sort of, you know, resolve it through through that um intensity as opposed to sort of like letting it you know sort of bubble along and and it might um not be resolved um at a male paula you're making the the general point that it's that it's a male rabbi writing about the feminine word mary va is that what that is or you're yeah yeah um it's interesting yeah it's interesting i'll just share one more thing and then i'm happy to have you rabbi shapiro do the do the clothes. Um, growing up, my parents did not fight in front of us. Um, it just wasn't their way of communication. They didn't want to see us fighting. They didn't want to see us seeing them fighting. Sorry. Um, and so we didn't see it. And I, I've thought about that a lot. I, in my own life, I am not married and I don't have children, so I haven't practiced one way or the other, but I, I have thought about that a lot um, in terms of communication style and what that what that did for us as children, and also maybe potentially how hard that was for them as um, as adults and parents. And we had very close family friends who did the opposite, which was whenever they were arguing, it was not done in private. It was done so that their children could not, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy arguments, but they would they would have their arguments in the place that they were. So if they were arguing about something and their children were around, they would argue. And I remember the first time that this happened and I was there and I I remember going home to my parents and asking them if they were getting a divorce because I had never seen fighting in front of children. And so I assumed if it was happening in front of children, there was no way of any other kind of communication to be happening. And so they must be fighting all the time and therefore they must be getting divorced. 
they're still happily married. They, I was gonna. That's the question I was gonna ask. I was gonna never, ask. Are they've they never still... been divorced. All my parents are also happily married. But what I want to end with with this piece is that I think that it's also really important for us to consider modes of communication, and with different types of people and different types of relationships, communication might be different. So when we were talking before about making vote, making calls to voters, right? When you're trying to get your point across, you might have a different style of communication than you would if you were just talking to a friend who you know is voting differently, right? If you're talking to a stranger, it might be different. But in this case, Abraham somehow knew, and we'll never know why, but somehow knew that this needed to be a point where they went in their own separate ways so that their love for one another and their care for one another would actually remain intact and remain sacred. And that meant that they had to give up on not being together. So I, I want to just leave us with the thought that we should all be able to think of our relationships in the ways that we communicate. Um, and if they are beneficial to us as, as people, uh, to us as a partner in that, in that, um, in that relationship. And if they are something that's allowing us, as the Zohar said, to, to really reach into our own souls and know who we are um, within that relationship, whatever that relationship might be. Um, so that's the last word for me. And Shabbat Shalom. But Rabbi Shapiro might have another word. So I am married. And I do have kids. That's true. Um, uh, for better or worse... Uh, Sarah and I fall in the latter category. It might just be because we don't have that much space and we're all around each other all the time. But I think even pre-COVID, um, we, we do argue in front of the boys. I don't necessarily know if it's conscious, but, but we, but we did, and meaning not like knockdown drag out fights. We don't, I mean, we don't really have those generally, but we will, but we will go back and forth in front of them. And, and they have, they will ask, does this mean you guys are getting a divorce? Um, no, I mean, I, I don't think so. And I hope not. And I'm not planning on it. Um, no, we're, we're good. Like I'm, I'm very grateful for the relationship I have with Sarah. And again, we, we don't get into like big blow up arguments, but sometimes we'll be in a little bit of a cranky mood and we will go back and forth in, in front of the boys. And I think that's okay. And I'll also say, I think that's okay. Not because uh, I'm not going to state that as like a categorical imperative. I, I'm going to say it as it's okay because it's okay for us. Right. And, and, God bless Tracy and Dale, right? I hope I hope they're married for many, many more years, right? That that's that's probably what's what's good for them, right? So I'll sort of echo again this sense that being in relationship, it, it's probably not necessarily about like, oh yes, objectively staying together or objectively separating. Relationship is so personal, yeah. um, and so it really comes down to um, knowing the relationship, knowing the person with whom you're in relationship, and and knowing knowing yourself. Um, and, and what you do or don't need in a relationship in order for that to be a successful, um, you know, person that, that you can have in your life in whatever form, right? Spouse, parent, child, friend, 
coworker, right? Whatever it might be that, that the work of relationship doesn't just necessarily happen in those potential moments of conflict, but in getting to know each other and also in getting to know ourselves, which of course, you know, takes work and discernment there as well. <laughs> Renee just messaged me. So who resolves the fights? You or Sarah? You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, no, I, I'll, I'll, you, Usually, so so there's also I just I mean I don't mind I don't mind answering this question I don't think I don't Sarah doesn't listen to the podcast uh, no I think she'd be okay with the, with me answering this um, we also engage differently when there's conflict right she wants to engage more and I need to take a break right so that also speaks to a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about that in order for me to feel like I can come back to it I need to say no more. And she will want to, to continue to engage. And we've been married now for 11 years, right? So it, so it has also taken a process of getting to know each other and, and trusting that relationship that we can navigate, not just the potential conflict itself, but how we engage in conflict in order to come out on the other side and be okay. And when we do that, it actually makes, makes the relationship stronger. Right. So, but it does require that, that continued effort. Right. And, and again, I don't think this is just about marriage. Right. I think this is any relationship that when you're able, when I'm able to, to do that, um, it's for the good. And not all relationships can bear that. And, and, and that's okay too. And just again, to reiterate the punchline I indicated earlier, it, it requires that, that discernment in terms of the, the quality and the content and the longevity or lack thereof of those different relationships that we have. Um, so may we all may we all be blessed with more of that discernment than we might currently have, particularly as we enter a week where there might really be some some substantive um, conflict and back and forth um, in relationships that we have. And hopefully we'll know how to um, navigate that as smoothly and healthily as possible. But it's great to see you guys. And thanks for coming to hang out with us. And Shabbat Shalom, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Ashakov to both of you. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for letting me mess with you. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.